I read in my devotions this morning, Proverbs 16, 9. Now, Michael encouraged us a few weeks back. You remember one of the ways you can read your Bible, be engaged in it, is read a proverb a day. And I, I do that, and it's the 16th, and I read Proverbs 16, 9. And it said, The mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. In other words, we, we make plans, and the Lord directs our steps. We're actually experiencing that this morning. Let me explain by pulling back the curtain a little bit on uh, how the sausage is made, so to speak, in terms of weekend worship and who teaches and how we schedule that. Um, you know, we have the, Frank, the Brentwood campus here, of course, and we have a Franklin campus. And uh, we are very committed to live teaching at both. And so, I, I don't know if you know this, but what, what we teach here on a weekend, you know, we then the next weekend teach at the Franklin campus as we're moving through a book of the Bible. They're one week behind. And um, you would think with three teaching pastors, no problem. But it's really not that easy. Uh, you see, when we schedule, like, for example, me teaching today, when I'm committed to teach today at Brentwood, that automatically commits me to teach at Franklin next week, because I've got to take this message and teach it there. So you, you really you have to be committed to two weeks, and you know, oftentimes schedules conflict, and I can be here on this weekend, but I can't be on the next. It is like it drives me crazy sometimes trying to you know make sure we're all in the right place at the right time. Bill and I were out for two, you know, both of us were out a weekend a while back, and you notice something we wish we could do more, but we can't. But we had to. Uh, Michael taught here two weekends in a row. Which, which is nice in terms of the passages sometimes. But, you know, that meant he couldn't teach at Franklin. So last week at Franklin, Michael was on video. And the plan was that, you know, now Bill and I are back, that Bill would be teaching here this weekend, and Lloyd would teach at Franklin so that Franklin didn't have two videos in a row. Now, I'm, I'm, I, I've been studying all week to teach that passage, which is the passage Michael taught last week. Now... You know, the beauty of three teaching pastors is when we teach a passage, you know, it comes through us. And the way Michael taught it last week, which was fabulous, you know, I'm going to teach it next week, but I can't just take his notes and do what he did. I, I, I got to teach it. You know, I got to teach it, you know, the way, the way I'm going to teach it. And so I'm preparing all week long to, to teach uh, the back end of Ephesians. And uh, also last week, I, I got a call and uh, it was a death within the church. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. And so um, yesterday morning, I got up to come into church and prepare for a funeral that I helped lead, a memorial service, yesterday afternoon for a several hours. And when I got up to come in, I got um, a text from Bill, and uh, he said this, um, stomach virus, been vomiting continuously since 2 a.m., Mm, Hillary, too. She started at 1, definitely out tonight. That was yesterday. That was Saturday night. Probably out tomorrow as well. So, I, I, you know, I'm texting back to Rob and them and going, look, I've got, I got to do a funeral, um, but we'll figure this out. And uh, we'll figure it out uh, sometime uh, in the afternoon, which uh, we did. And, uh, you know, when I read that, by the way, I was telling my kids that last night. And they said, well, did you ask Hillary if you could say that? And I said, no. And if you're watching, you're sick. I'm sorry. I'll apologize afterwards. Um, but they're sick. And uh, sure enough, um, Emma got it. it was, I mean, the whole family's just down and out. It just kept getting worse as the afternoon progressed. 
and so what we decided was that, uh, you know, the, the best way to handle this in terms of schedule, because it's like dominoes when one thing starts falling, was for me to come back and, and I, I'm privileged to do this, is, is to come back to Ephesians chapter 1, and, and we're going we're gonna to revisit it. And uh, that's where I say, you know, we hadn't planned it, but I believe with the deepest, in the deepest part of my being, this is exactly what God has for us, because he makes our way. And it's my privilege to come back to Ephesians 1. We're going to re- review it. I'll add some new things on the back end. Uh, but we get to do that today. You know, were we to spend six months in Ephesians 1, y'all, I'm not, I'm not speaking in hyperbole. We would not exhaust what it has to say. You can't. And we would not. So with that, and truly for me with great expectancy, I'm going to ask you to stand together and I'm going to read the entire chapter. We're going to stand for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Ephesians 1. Follow along with me in your Bible. Let's think about it as we read. It's no light thing to read the Word of God and to submit ourselves to it. And this indeed is His Word to you and me today. Paul writes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will. According to the kind intention which he purposed in him. With a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is, the summing up. Of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him, You also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, 
I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. May God add his blessing to this reading of his word. You can be seated. I've got three phrases I want to grab. Uh, this is a review. Uh, I've got a, a thought I'll add at the end that we haven't talked about before maybe, but we'll see a little different. So much we can glean from the text, but I'm going to grab these three things for sure that we want to look at. The first is this. When Paul begins this book, He begins it like he begins some other books. And he says, to the saints who are at Ephesus. And I want to come back to that to remind you that Paul, when he wrote to the church at Corinth and said, to the saints, and he wrote to the other churches and said, to the saints, they didn't look like saints. They didn't act like saints. They didn't live like saints all the time. But he's clearly communicating something to them and us. Of their identity. This is who you are. Saint. If you are in Christ. You are a saint. You are a holy one. If I can put it in maybe a principal form. It it would be something along these lines. Identity. Your identity equals. You could put anything here in a sense. But your destiny identity, when you know who you are, see that leads to how you live. Identity equals destiny. I had the opportunity this weekend, and will this coming Friday, uh, this, this Friday I spoke to man camp, you know, 7th grade through 12th grade young men, about 250 of them out at Widjiwajan, and uh, just a, a tremendous opportunity. I've got a son who's who's uh, 18 in there, and I'm telling you, it was just what a privilege to stand and, and share with them. They asked me to talk about the greater story, creation, fall, redemption, recreation, and how the, these boys understand their part in that story. And in particular, we're talking about sexual purity. And, and, and I, you know, one of the things I talked to them, and in, in the end, I was trying to help them understand, and we've been trying all weekend to help, help these boys understand, sexual purity is not, you know, white knuckling, I'm not going to have sex till I'm married. You know, I'm not going to do it. You know, it's, that's not sexual purity. Sexual purity is when you know who you are in Christ, you can live your life to the fullest, not white knuckling it, but living your life in ways that give life to other people. When I talk about the fall and the implications of the fall, uh, I used a, a, a movie clip. And so, you know, to, to you guys that will be there, the girls that will be at... at uh, camp no boys allowed next weekend you know you're going to get this twice you're going to get this story of sorts but 
Um, I took, uh, because I, it's, I, I've had someone do this with me. It was so helpful. But we took, I took the clip from, a couple clips from The Lion King. You know, I think most of us in the room have seen The Lion King. Might have, it's, maybe it's been a while. But um, I, I took some clips to, to show them and remind them, for example, that, you know, the, the movie begins. The crisis in the movie is, of course, uh, Simba, the young lion, you know, running off. Now, the reason he runs off is because he believes a lie. Now, now I, won't, I can't show the clips this morning, but you know, he, he, his father is killed by a stampede, but Scar set the whole thing up, his uncle. And so Simba thinks he did it. And Scar comes to him after his dad is dead and says, what have you done? You killed your dad. <laughs> and Simba's like, well, I didn't mean I didn't know. You need to run away. You know, and so Simba runs off. Well, he believed the lie. You think about the fall. What happens in the fall? What, what do Adam and Eve do? Believe a lie. Oh, and it all goes downhill from there. And quite frankly, it goes downhill in the movie too. But it's interesting where Simba goes. And if you remember the movie, he runs off. And, and, and the place he goes, quite frankly, looks like paradise. It's unbelievable. And do you remember what he does in this paradise, what this young lion does? Remember who he plays with? He plays with who? Yeah, he plays with a warthog and uh, one of those little meerkats, his best buddies. And it's just, it's funny, right? And, and uh, what's their phrase? What's the phrase there? Kuna Matata, which means no worries, right? And all that. And you think about this. He believed a lie. So he runs off to what he thinks is paradise. And he plays with a warthog and a meerkat. And you go, wait, now let me think about this. He eats warthogs. That's what lions do. That's food. That's not. What did he eat the whole time he was there? Do you remember? Do lions eat? I don't think so. You know, but, but he, so you, you go, here, here was a point I was, uh, you know, you, helping the kids to see. Well, when you, when you believe a lie, you go and do things that you were never made to do. And then you remember this is the scene, the, 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 the fascinating scene to me is when uh, Nala, the young lioness, comes and finds him and says, you need to come back. We're all dying. You know, it's the prides. And, and you know, Simba's going, I can't go back, you know, and he's all puffy and puffy, you know, and she says something and, 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 and she says something back to him and he goes, you sound like my dad. And then she goes, well, at least one of us does. And the whole movie turned. And the goofy, crazy baboon shows up. And says to him, I, I know your dad. I know your dad. He goes, I know your dad. And Simba goes, sorry, my dad's dead. And then the baboon goes, oh, no, he's alive. He goes, come on, I want to show you. And he winds through the, you know, the woods. And he comes to this pond and he says, look. And so Simba looks in the pond. And he sees his own face. Oh, it's just my face. And then Rafiki goes, no. Look closer. And he touches the water. And then he sees the face of his father in his own face. And then Mufasa's up in the cloud. And he says, Simba, <laughs> you have forgotten me. So, I know I haven't forgotten you. 
you've forgotten who you are, and therefore you've forgotten me. Now, this is what I said to the men, and I'll say this to the men in the room. Men, when you forget who you are, you go and do things you were not made to do. And you cross boundaries you were not made to cross. That's what we do when we forget who we are. To the saints. I mean, we're barely, we're in the first few sentences. To the saints. That's who you are if you're in Christ. And when you forget who you are and, listen, whose you are, mm, we do really goofy things. We harm ourselves and we harm others to the saints who are at Ephesus. And then he goes through, and of course, this massive sentence. Oh my, you know, the longest sentence in Greek literature. Um, But throughout it, if he says anything, he says this a hundred times. In Christ, in Christ, by Christ, through him, in the beloved, in Christ, in Christ. If you're in Christ, then in Christ he did. There's a reason we've got this up here in front of us. In Christ. It's the, you know, that, that Latin phrase, sine qua non, it's the... The without which not. That's what Latin it means. In other words, it's, it's the thing that if, it, if, if, it's, if you don't have this, you have nothing. This is, the, this is it. If, if you're not in Christ, nothing. That literally, not in Christ, nothing. Lost. That's why he reiterates it over and over and over again. And which is why I want to pause and make absolutely clear what it means to be in Christ. Uh, I mentioned a funeral. I got a call last Friday from uh, the Wolves, and they told me that uh, Trish Smith's brother had taken his life. Trish is a single lady in our body. She's on crusade crew staff and um, she had invited her brother Vince to live with her he's 55 and uh, he had been battling depression and some some addictive behavior and so he came here four months ago and uh, she was unbelievable in her love for him and on Friday last Friday he uh, he took his life and yesterday we had a memorial right over here in, in the barn. It was awesome. It was amazing. Because he was in Christ. I said to them, I'll say to you because I brought this up. You know, you go, wait, wait, how can a guy take his life and be in Christ? Because the pain of life can be so hard that sometimes... The only way to relieve the pain, someone thinks, depression can distort this reality, and you can think the only way out is to end it. That's not the right decision, ever. But he was in Christ, not in his right mind in that moment. But we celebrated his life. 
And uh, I was reminded of Ecclesiastes chapter 7, 1 to 4. A good name is better than a good ointment. And the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. Because that is the end of every man. And the living takes it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For when a face is sad, a heart may be happy. The mind of the wise is in the house of mourning. The mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. I spent three hours yesterday in the house of mourning. And I've taken it to heart. And I'm reminded from Ephesians 1 that if you are not in Christ, then the day of your death will not be a good day at all. And there's no one looking at me right now that will not one day die. I want to talk for a moment about this phrase in Christ and I want to make sure you're clear on what it means. I don't think there's a more important question. If we don't grasp this, if we don't answer the question I'm going to ask in a moment in the right way, there's, no, there's nothing else forward. It's, that's the end. I've asked this question a, a, a number of times over the years. It's not my question. It's you know from evangelism explosion or something like that, but... It's a question I've asked some of you. and um, I'm always befuddled at, at sometimes the answers that I get back. Because in my mind, I, I'm, in my mind I'm going, I, this person knows Christ. Uh, but I want to make sure, you know, I want to make sure they understand the gospel and the faith. And, and, uh, and so I'll, I'll, I'll ask this question. And I'm going to ask you. If you were to die on your way home from church today and you were to stand before God and God said to you, Mark, why should I let you into my kingdom? What would you say? If, if you were to die today, now we know we're going to die one day, but if you were to die today and the Lord said, Dan, why... Should I let you into my kingdom? What would you say? Now, this is conjecture. I'm not saying this is how it happens. But, but it helps us know what we're trusting in and believing in. If you can't answer that question biblically, you're not going to heaven. You're not in Christ. And again, I, I get confused because sometimes I'm, I'm asking. This is, here's, the, here's the thing that confuses me. What confuses me is the answer I get when I ask Christians the question. And, I, and I, sometimes I go, am I not clear? Man, what? I mean, maybe it's just I'm so familiar with it. You know, and I, I get it. Some people can be confused or they're nervous talking to me or something. I totally get that. 
I'm going to say it again. I don't think it's real complicated. I really don't. And I'm not trying to be demeaning or sarcastic. If, when you stand before God and he says, why should I let you into heaven? How will you answer? What will your answer be? There's only one right answer. I'm not trying to pick words and I'm not, you know, I don't want to get that, go that far. I mean, we can say it different ways, but there's, there's fundamentally only one right answer. But the answer I get sometimes, the, the answer I get sometimes is, well, I've, I've tried to do the right thing in my life. And, I, and in my mind, I'm going, hmm, that's, that's not the right answer. Or, you know, and, and, or, or, or you, you might go, you know, and I've had someone say to me, you know, they go, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. And, you know, and I'll say to you, there's some of you looking at me now when I ask that question, you might have had, that might have been your answer. It's okay, but I want to be absolutely clear before we move on in Ephesians. That the only answer to that question, Lloyd, why should I let you into my kingdom? Because I have put my trust in what Jesus did for me. Bill, why should I let you make my kingdom? Because I, my confidence is in what Jesus did on my behalf. This is all the same answer. Because I have trusted that Jesus died on the cross and he paid the penalty that I deserve. He died in my place and rose again. That's the only reason. Why should I let you into my kingdom? Because, because of what Christ did for me and I trust that he did it for me. And when I trust that, I'm in him. That's the only answer. See, the only answer is if I'm in Christ, I'm in him. He's in me. Only Christ is worthy of heaven. And I'm in him. How are you in him? I'm trusting him. I'm believing. I want to say this to all of us, you know. You're, you, you don't, it's, it's not your prayer that saves you. Now, I, I want to be very careful here. It's very appropriate to say, you know, to pray and say, God, I'm trusting. That's totally good. But it's not the prayer that saves you. It's your faith. I believe, and you're going to express it by a prayer, but it's because I believe. Now, I've done this a number of times. I don't think we can review it, you know, too many times. Biblical faith always has three components, knowledge, assent, and trust. Knowledge, assent, and trust. There's some knowing. There's truth to be known, but there's also this assent, and that is to go, well, it's true, and I believe it's true, but but that's not biblical faith yet. You go to trust because it's true. Well, I recognize that it's, you know, it's true worldwide, but I recognize it's true and it's true for me. Mm, now, biblical faith. I've shown you this, you know, this is a chair. This is made to hold you up. You know, th- every, everything about this says that thing will hold my weight. That's what it was made for. Well, that's Knowledge. And it's true, knowledge, assent. But trust, the trust only comes when I put my weight on it. When I go, I trust it. You understand, I'm not doing anything right now but trusting this chair to hold me. To be in Christ is to choose to believe and trust 
that there's nothing I can do, that Jesus did it all. He paid the penalty for my sins and I'm trusting him. Why should I let you into my kingdom? Because I'm in Christ. That's the only reason. That's biblical faith. I mentioned before, someone could say to me, because I believe Jesus is the son of God. And I said, well, what? because the demons believe Jesus is the son of God. That's not saving faith. Saving faith is he's the son of God who died on a cross for my sins, paid the penalty that I deserved and rose again. And I'm trusting him. Now, the other answer that I often get is this. I believe he's the son of God down the cross for my sins. And I know that I need to keep, I need to obey him. I need to make sure, I, just, you know, he did die on the cross for my sins. I am trusting that. But I also know that, boy, if I don't tr- keep, if I don't obey him, if I don't go to church, I don't know if I don't take, you know what I'm saying? It's this and this. This is not biblical faith. Not at all. This to say, well, he, he's done some, but I know I've got to do some stuff too. This is an affront to the cross itself. Because if you're doing this, you're saying, okay, he died on the cross. I know he did that. He had to do that. But clearly it wasn't enough. Because see, I've got to still do some stuff to make sure I get... That's not saving faith at all. That's an affront to the cross. It's to say the cross wasn't enough. You know, we sing that song, the cross is enough. You'd have to be singing, the cross isn't enough. The cross isn't enough. I did... That's not faith. The cross was enough. I don't deserve it. I don't know why he chose me, but he did. And I see it and I believe. Thank you, God. It's grace. All of grace. Are you in Christ? You know, a lot of churches, you know, you have invitations at the end. You say, boy, if you don't know, come up and talk to the pastor. Um, I'm not going to say that because that's, you know, while I could, and if you want to talk to me, it's totally fine, but... You know, one of the things we believe is that you're the ministers of the gospel. We want to equip you to do that. So that when people in your life that don't know Christ, you can lead them to be in Christ. And if you're not sure, then I implore you, talk to someone. Ask them, what is this? I want to make sure. Now, I'm going to do this totally on the fly. If you're willing... For someone to come up to you and go, hey, would you explain what Lloyd was talking about? I'm just not sure. If you're willing for someone to ask you the question, raise your hand. Everybody raise, if you're willing to do that. Now, hold your hand up high and just keep it up, seriously. Now, if you're in here and you're not sure, you see the hands around you, you don't have to come to me. Go to someone who's sitting near you or that you know and ask them what that means. To the saints who are in Christ, he ends the whole chapter 1 talking about the power of God, and this is how we'll end. Go to chapter 1, verses 19 to 23, the greatness of his power. How about this? He says, I want you to know the greatness of God's power towards you. And then he gives, he says, let me, sh- let me tell you about that power. Verse 20, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but the age to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. 
Now, what I want you to see in this, when Paul says, you, you're not going to believe how powerful God is. And then he gives three examples of the power. I want you to notice what kind of power he describes. Because, here's why. If, if you were talking to someone and you were wanting to explain to them how powerful God is, what would you describe? Just think about it in your mind's eye for a moment. Well, you know, if you're going, I, I need to tell this person how powerful God is. I mean, he's just, he's so omnipotent, so powerful. What would, what would you normally speak of? I want you to think about it for a minute, and I'll tell you what I, where I go, and I think many of us go, as I would probably, I would probably talk about creation. I don't know. Can you think of anything more powerful? God spoke and created all there what all there is by the word of his, his voice he spoke we can't even get our heads around that can we the forest galaxies stars you know the forest space microscopic all of it you the mountains you know volcanoes everything all the power in the world he created it you know to me i go creation's unbelievable that's that's the power of god isn't it interesting that paul says you're not going to believe the power of god But he doesn't describe creation. What does he describe? He gives three examples of redeeming power. He cites those things where God exerted his power to save us. To bring us back. To put us back together. To make whole. Do you see that? And, and you know, I'm going, God, that's, that's, that's interesting. He does that. Why? I read something, D.A. Carson wrote this, and it, it caught my attention. He said, for an omnipotent God, there cannot be degrees of difficulty, for there is no one act of God that is most powerful. Now, that just shook, you know, that just kind of got me. Because you think about it, you, you can't go, well, this is when he really showed his power. Because to create the universe and all it is was no more difficult than, I don't know, to breathe. You know what I mean? He's God. There's not degrees of difficulty for him. Paul does not hunt for the most powerful or most difficult displays of God's power since such categories are essentially meaningless. Rather, he hunts for the most glorious and the most revealing. Why do we need to be reminded of the surpassing greatness of his power, and specifically be reminded that it's redeeming power. Because everything in my life is broken. Because I can't go through a day and not be reminded it's not like it ought to be. To redeem and make whole and restore. It reveals his glory in a way that not even creation does. I'm not saying creation doesn't reveal God's glory. Oh, it does. But do we understand not in the way redemption displays his mercy, his kindness, his love for rebellious people. That's his glory. I want to invite the band to come out. We're going to 
benedict with a song. I think it's an appropriate response to Ephesians 1 to sing of God's great love for you and for me. Because when we look at this passage, I got to tell you, it raises questions, doesn't it? How can you read chapter 1 and not have questions? Election, predestination, all of you know. In fact, when I was going to do this, y'all, I was actually going to get up and just go, you know what, chapter 1's amazing. Why don't we just do this? Let's just do Q&A. What kind of questions do you have about chapter 1? And I thought better of it, you know. <laughs> I go, there's no way I'm doing that because I cannot answer those. I am not a good Q&A person, quite frankly. But let's stand together, and we're going to sing a song, and I want us to sing it with this in mind. Sure, there are questions that remain, election, predestination, but it seems like I think we asked the wrong question. Can I say this? If we're in Christ, the question to ask, we're actually going to sing. Why should I gain? from his reward. Let's ask that question. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. Listen, if you're in Christ, the questions that we cannot answer lead us to humility. Mm. But those things which we know Lead us to worship. Let's worship our great God.
I'll dismiss you this morning with a catechism that I taught you weeks ago. Uh, It's when I said that phrase, I am his, and you repeated it. He is mine, you repeated it, and all ends well. This is the message of the gospel, and it is the message of Ephesians 1. After that message, uh, Amy Bryant, who who does some art, uh, made a little painting for me. I know you can't see it well, but she's got the cross, and beautifully inside she has those words, I am his, he is mine, and all ends well. Let's say that. I'll say the first phrase. Repeat after me. I am his. He is mine. And all ends well. God bless.